Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur. If he's not stuck in the Suarez Canal, or however you pronounce it, he's here on the tune-up. It's Benny Horowitz. <laughs> oh, it is definitely the Suez Canal. The Suez Canal. What? A, that that was that was a story. Wait, like it appeared on the timeline, but I was not not reading about it or anything no, like that. If anything, no, I no. saw the memes. I certainly was not interested in that story at all. It's just one of those things. It's like, oh, big boat stuck. Cool. Don't care. <laughs> but I mean, you do wonder sometimes like how, how that was affecting some weird small business somewhere. Cause you don't, you don't know it was on that truck and maybe there was, you know, a couple stores out West who sell tons of like quinoa or something that all of a sudden we're like, Nope, can't get that anymore. So whatever. Little major disruptions to the to Global the corporate cycle chain. of life. Nah, whatever. It's fine. Oh man, but how's your week, dude? Boats. Spring is Them here. Damn boats. <laughs> but how's your week? Spring is here. It's great. I'm watching everything bloom. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. No complaints. Life is good. Kids are healthy, and uh, trying to move ahead in this world. I have an offer to maybe have to fly to California next month which is giving me crippling anxiety, but also kind of exciting. All right, I'll totally scrub this, but what do you have to go to California for? I'm not going to talk about it yet. Oh. But something cool, something cool that I may or may not publicize on how it goes. <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to guess here, you know, because uh-huh. I think mm-hmm. when people think you, they yes. think music, they think Gaslight. And correct me if I'm wrong, last record you guys made in Los Angeles, 59 sound. I'm not saying. I'm not saying. <laughs> all right. All right. I'll give it up. The Eagles are getting back together again. They're playing a show at the Greek theater. And I'm the lead singer. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Don Henley. It's like, suck it, Don Henley. Remember that kid 15 years weeks. ago in Nashville? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Remember when we smoked you out of the studio, Don Henley? Nah, I smoked you out of your own band. <laughs> oh boy alright Benny let's get into it shall we let's get into this day in music history so on this day in 1999 a concert took place in Knoxville Tennessee with the Black Crows they were in support of their fifth studio album 1999's By Your Side and Joshua Harmon a teenager from Granville Ohio uh, was in the second row that night Apparently caught a great show and then sued the band for hearing loss. Subsequently, a few days later, uh, he said that he was a little too close for comfort to his eardrums and he suffered severe acoustic trauma and permanent damages to his right ear. So apparently he came home from the show, complained to his parents that he couldn't hear, uh, got some sort of diagnosis and sued the Black Rose three days later. Uh, The case was made by his parents. They filed suit against the band on April 6th. He had a subsequent tinnitus, the result of uh, hearing damage from that show, and sought $385,000 from the band in damages from the group, the promoter, and the venue. This was a quote from the parents. They said, as a parent, when you buy tickets, this is how they talk to me. As a parent, when you buy tickets, you don't expect your kids to come home with a permanent injury. The significance of this suit is that parents need to know this is a possibility. That's what I'm concerned about. So a couple layers to this as usual. I think this thing got thrown out because I literally couldn't find a close to this case anywhere on the internet. So I don't think it made it too far. But this does kind of highlight a, uh, a permeating problem that I have, which is this idea that the parents were within three days of this thing happening sought to to call out the criminal justice system for hearing justice for all these children who go to shows and i don't think you really care and i think you're trying to get three hundred eighty-five thousand dollars from a band because your fucking kid didn't wear earplugs or something like you're going to a fucking concert if there's like you know, I can guess Black Crows at that time, let's say 8,000 other people in attendance. That would be my guess for their draw in the late 90s. I don't know. <laughs> and not one other person makes this case. That means there is something like wrong with you or you didn't protect yourself. And I find the whole thing like 
really, really offensive and upsetting. And I would be so fucking pissed if someone left one of my shows and sued me for hearing loss. <laughs> so this is what happened in 1999. And the Black Crows have set a lot of strange precedents in music. And uh, I hope this one was one where people will stop suing for shit like that. You know, the irony is not lost on me here that they wanted a hearing by claiming that their son lost his hearing. I don't know. It's funny. <laughs> That's good. I mean, I mean, I've seen what the resolutions to this stuff are. Like if you play, uh, let's say, for instance, if you play an outdoor show in Sweden. Yeah. The national federally regulated mandate is that the show cannot be over 98 decibels. Me, being a human gorilla, <laughs> I hit a snare drum without a microphone and it's over 98 decibels. So, like, putting rock bands in that environment is really strange because mm. sound guys have a almost impossible time mixing a show like that because you could literally take a, a good loud drummer and put him in front of a crowd and it's more than 98 decibels, taking away PAs and vocals and guitars yeah. and all that shit. So... I think the trick here is people need to take care of their hearing better. It's going to be a loud situation. That's the way you're going to consume rock music. I had an incident like that that scared the fuck out of me. I saw a band called Poison the Well at Massachusetts Metal Fest sometime in the late 90s. Hmm. Didn't have my earplugs, and I sat in front of a speaker for 30 minutes and walked outside. And I couldn't hear shit mm. for a while, and I was like, luckily my... You know, oh, okay, I got to really start taking this seriously. Yeah. But people need to start, like, you go into the hearing section at CVS and all they sell are these, like, bullshit foam earplugs mm. and stuff like that. Like, there is really advanced technology and not only taking care of your hearing, but doing it in a, in a way that still makes things sound good. So I would definitely recommend if anybody is a regular showgoer who's going all the time, like, Spend a hundred dollars, spend two hundred dollars, get a mold made, and get proper earplugs for mm. yourself so you can really enjoy this shit and not have to go scream it to your mammy to fucking sue the black crows, you know? Yeah, good on you advocating for earplugs and stuff like that. I, I know that we've texted and talked offline about this, but uh, that movie Sound of Metal scary Ooh. what can happen Ooh. when you don't take care of everything, stuff like that. Terrifying, so, yeah. I recommend anybody who's got a yeah, fuck earplugs kind of thing Go watch to watch movie. that movie. Because yeah. you know that dude in that movie was a fuck earplugs kind of guy. Yeah. All right, Benny. So on this day in 1981, CBS launched the Nice Price series of back catalog albums in the UK. The price was, uh, the first batch was priced at a little more than three euros. Uh, excuse me, three pounds, euros. What the heck am I talking about? <laughs> um, and included early albums by Bob Dylan, Santana, Billy Joel, Abba, Janis Joplin, and Simon and Garfunkel. I picked this one specifically because I feel like there is a certain generation of people that doesn't does not trust the whole subscription thing. And I mm. think things like this and the 99 cent records that we, that we had in this country kind of started that whole thing. It's interesting. Did you ever have a? Were you are you too young for Columbia House? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so I mean, that was like the biggest trick ever because they would just offer you a free cd yeah You're like oh of course yeah but the scam was if you don't send the cd back you're basically like now in contract to purchase <laughs> two cds a month for the rest of the year incredible and so many people got like sucked in they're like how did this even happen a cd <laughs> showed at my house and now all of a sudden i owe like 120 dollars to columbia house for some bullshit i don't want that was a uh that, that was a big scam, for sure. That's what we're going to do with this podcast, right? I know people can get it for free on their phones, and that's great, but <laughs> we're going to send it on a physical CD to your house, yes. and then you have to pay us to send it back. Shit, I don't <laughs> even have a CD burner anymore. i got to get on that. <laughs> oh, Benny, well, first up, first headline today, we, had, we head to the world of music, and I love any time we get to talk about this guy on the podcast, Little Nas X back in the news uh, oh, yeah. for a variety of reasons. So we're going <laughs> to yeah. try to break it down step by step. Uh, first things first, he put out a music video for uh, his new song, Montero, which I just found out was his actual first name. So that's wow. interesting. Um, but the video has 
however you want to look at it, uh, has him in the Garden of Eden, and then he's a devil, and then it goes, uh, he, he twerks on the devil, steals his horns, <laughs> this whole crazy thing. But I re- I'm, I'm, I'm really intrigued by Lil Nas X and what he brings to the music business because he is one of the first people that I've seen in the mainstream that is selling his music by trolling. And he's trolling alt-right conservatives. Um, and I think that this is a, a brilliant play. So, Benny, um, as someone who may or may, may not in the past have has sold tickets, music, all that stuff by trolling, what do you make of this in pop music now? Well, I want to back up a little bit yeah. in the idea that, like, I don't think it's straight trolling. Okay. I don't think he's sitting back thinking, what can I do to piss these people off, which is trolling. Yeah. I think he's just being unabashed about what he actually is and who he wants to be as an artist. And if that happens to be counter to what other people like and happens to be subversive, it doesn't necessarily mean it's trolling. To me, trolling is like, I am intentionally trying to piss you guys off. I think you might lean into it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, cause it's smart and uh, you gotta own it and you gotta go all the way if you're doing it. But I actually have an appreciation for the fact that this person is creating art uh, and creating music they care about and creating pieces they care about, which I do think it takes it out of the trolling thing a little. I mean, if you want to know my personal opinion, it could be summated like this. I hadn't really known what was going on with this the entire week. I even wrote a tweet at some point this week being like, the one good thing about being old is I was like, wait, Nas like Satan now? Because that's how much I knew about what was going on. So as usual, I didn't know exactly what was going on. And thanks to you, Denny Gallimer, my co-host, I have been opened up to a, a cultural revolution from you. I appreciate it. Thank I really, you. I don't get that. If I didn't do the tune-up, all these, a lot of these things would go over my head. <laughs> so I go ahead and I sit down and I wa- I'm going to watch the video. Same way I did with this Cardi B one where I'm like, all right, what's all the hubbub about? And literally, the second I watch this guy fucking go down a stripper pole into hell <laughs> and start giving a lap dance to Satan, I lost my shit. To the point that my wife came upstairs to be like, yo, what's so funny? And I'm like, look at this shit. <laughs> so if you want to know my moral take on the whole thing, I think it's surmised right there. And the fact that like, no, I don't give a shit. Um, and I think it's kind of funny to watch it actually play out in art. But the one thing I'm going to consider is this. I remember a video that was hotly contested when I was a kid was Madonna's Like a Prayer. We're going to bring Madonna back into this again. (laughs) And I see that video differently now than I did as a kid. As a kid, I was like, wait, what the fuck is going on here? Is that person Jesus? What is this cross? What are they doing? And it did like actually bring up real questions to me that I'm like, what's going on here? Is, Is there inequity in religion? Like it actually like brought up some bigger things that made me think which makes me think that people of a young generation are taking it differently and maybe their parents and things like that do have not a right, but they are correct in assuming that it can be more influential over a child than it is an adult. That being said, here's where I'm going on it. It's biblical. The entire thing is biblical. He's literally playing out the Garden of Eden scenario Uh, you know, the forbidden fruit, the whole thing, and then going to see Satan. It's one thing that's always made me laugh about Satan and Satan worshipers in general is you're recognizing Christian existence by being that. And it seems as if the biggest uh, problem for, you know, Christianity and that uh, religion with the modern generation these days is even convincing them it exists and that it's real, and that it's something you should take seriously. This video is an entire Christian concept. Mm. So he's literally leading us through religious discourse by lap dancing the devil. (laughs) It's true, it's true. And the other thing to kind of piggyback off of that is the 
and we're going to talk about this in a little bit when we talk about Kevin Durant and Michael Rappaport and that whole thing. The alt-right Christian movement is propped up when they have things to be outraged about because that, right. and then that's how they get the airtime and all that stuff. I mean, we've seen the Westboro Baptist Church do this and all of this stuff. They look at music and all of this as a area for them to kind of get the platform, and then that is masked by, oh, morals should be in music. When that's not in the contract of entertainment all yeah. the time, there, there, there's been a lot of think pieces about what are the roles that ideas and all that stuff should play in like pop music. And if you want to put morals into a business, that's your prerogative, but don't kind of put that expectation on somebody else. And if the market determines, hey, this is what people want, this is a commodity, that person should be allowed to do it. But this yeah. all comes back to that the Christian platform, the, the alt-right, if you will, needs outrage to continue to try to get their message across. And they look at someone like Lil Nas X, who's doing a lot for the LGBTQ community, by being kind of uh, a role model for kids that are struggling with this in high school, and they're like, that's going to be our, our target. And that's a part that I have a problem with, with the quote-unquote sure. outrage. Well, yeah, and, and it's biased outrage. It's using the concepts of confirmation bias to make your point. But this is literally the same fucking week, Denny, that 30 people were mowed down in two separate random shootings in this country. Mm. You know, if you literally are going to bat falling asleep at night upset about a 20 year old kid dressing up like the devil sliding down a stripper pole into a, a illusionary uh, Valhalla that doesn't actually exist, but you don't care about 30 fucking bodies that got mowed down this mm. week. Well, there's your fucking problem with morality right there. All right, Benny. And then there's a second part to this story. That's absolutely great. As you mentioned, Lil Nas X put a little blood in some Nikes, which I don't know how how the heck you do this. But if you've ever, you know, if you're a sneakerhead like me, uh, you've at least done a few custom Nike IDs in your life. Now, I did not know that you could make thousands of them and sell them, but that's exactly what Lil Nas X did. He customized these Nikes through Nike ID, and by creating a scarcity with these Lil Nas X shoes, he was able to sell them for quite a bit. Apparently, he's been working on this for nine months. Um, Nike well, got hey, mad. some blood. <laughs> right? I didn't uh, see it specified. Is it his blood? I did or not. Or just blood? I didn't want to look into that. I didn't want okay. those Google searches. Okay. Um, so he's been working on this for nine months. Now Nike uh, ha had to come out and make a statement that they do not support devil worship, which who, who would have thought that? Um, and they put a restraining order on him that apparently now he's not allowed to do this anymore. So just an overall great rollout, music, yeah. product, that's how you do it. What do you make of this? I'm, I'm sure that you probably applaud this. I, I mean, listen, it's like... Somebody you didn't give a fuck about a week ago <laughs> just all of a sudden made a lifelong fan. You know, I know the, the alt-right might be mad, but listen, little Nas X, you got me, okay? I'm a fan now. This yeah. is great. This is all great. And I love that they took this bullshit concept I learned about years ago. I used to work at a liquor wholesaler, and we once got a couple cases of this one bottle in. Bottle was selling for like $600 a piece. It was, it was some kind of brandy. I was like, what's the deal with this? Why is it so special? And it was because apparently they had found an old cask of brandy in a uh, submerged vessel somewhere in Europe that was like 300 fucking years old and the ocean didn't get into. And they took a tiny eyedropper of this brandy, put it into normal brandy, bottled it and sold it for $600 a piece because there was this one drop of ancient brandy in there. <laughs> so I think like Lil Nas X took these concepts, took a little blood, tossed it in a shoe and, and makes it exclusive. So I think it's genius and funny. Of course, Nike did what you would imagine they yeah. do, which is okay. We still want some people to buy our shoes who believe in Jesus. So, you know, they had to do that. But again, he made a fan. I think it's fucking great. 
I wish I thought of it. All right, next headline today, President Joe Biden is set to announce the first part of a two-part infrastructure package. Uh, It's called the American Jobs Plan. And you're like, why are we bringing up this stuff? This is not the place you come for uh, for policy discourse. And you're right. But, Benny, there is a part of this package that is focused on creating on improving american infrastructure and you guessed it uh amtrak joe biden throwing a lot of money amtrak's way to improve it across the country the two billion dollar stimulus is set to improve modernizing roads and highways and bridges road safety public transportation amtrak and freight electric vehicles airports other ports and really just to work to uh, improve the infrastructure of this country, which is needed. But a added part of this that I think is super interesting with the Amtrak thing, Amtrak is adding 30 new routes, uh, enhancing 20 or more uh, routes that already exist, which is great. They're expecting it to increase their ridership by over 20 million, and they're providing better service to cities like Houston, Atlanta, Cincinnati, and more cities in the middle of the country. And they're also announced... And this is my favorite part of the whole thing. A new service from that goes from Los Angeles to Las Vegas, which, boy, that's going to be a party ride. You just get you a good ride. Drink whatever you want, get on that train, yeah, and you're sure. there. Um, there are also services to cities underrepresented as well, like Nashville, Columbus, and Phoenix. Now, Benny, we see a lot of bands around Europe try to navigate that way using the trains because Europe's trains are a lot better. Uh, how do you think that this improved infrastructure trains in this country could impact musical touring in America. Yeah. Um, Well, it's interesting, especially you bringing up the Europe model as opposed to this. So one of the reasons the European model works better as far as this goes is gear. Mm. And you can actually set up a tour going throughout Europe where you don't have to carry much gear. Uh, There's local you know, vendors who set it up. A lot of venues have, you know, if you get asked to play a house kit in New York City, you're about to play the biggest piece of shit you've ever seen in your (laughs) life that has no cymbal stands, no pedal, ripped up heads, you know, like you can't trust it. You go to Europe and do that thing, it's probably okay um, and good enough to play. And they also are not as American in the idea that like, Every band who's like 19 years old buys a van, gets in a van, starts traveling everywhere. They actually are like, uh, are you going to college and having a real life too? You know, so it's a little more important to them. But it's really about money. Um, so even take, for instance, the quickest way to get from England to mainland Europe while you're traveling on a bus is the channel. But... The channel is about three times more expensive than it is to uh, drive up to Dover and to take the ferry, which is a longer drive, um, a much crazier hassle because you got to wake up and Hmm. go up there so you don't get submerged. And I've done this trip like literally a hundred fucking times, (laughs) but the channel is like three times as expensive to just sit in your bus, go on the channel and go underground. So the same thing exists in America. As much as I love Amtrak and I love riding trains, I, I am like a avid train rider. Um, I don't see it having a huge impact on music and touring in this country because of some of the distances you're talking about, too. Mm-hmm. You know, like I can't imagine what an Amtrak ride from, uh, you know, Nashville to Atlanta is going to cost. Yeah. And it's probably still cheaper to put your shit into a shitty van and pay for three tanks of gas and get down there. So uh, as far as its impact on touring, I'm not so sure. But another thing this helps is just kind of the industry itself. A lot of music is electronic. There's a lot of DJs. There's a lot of stuff like that now. The business side of the industry moves by train, you know, promoters and booking agents and people like that getting around. So I think uh, with sort of an increased aversion to flying in airports, I being one of them. Mm. Um, I think the idea of it being more successful and and gaining some ground is true and will work. But I I don't know about its impact on uh, on touring music, especially right away. 
some of these routes that I love that they're adding. I love the New York to Scranton route. And, you know, <laughs> I just like the fact that Joe's like, hometown, I got you. We're going to have yeah. a train. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I don't know if you've ever been to Scranton, Benny, but uh, yeah. it's quite. A number of times, sure. Are there any venues there that you played in Scranton? Yeah, there's stuff in Scranton. Remember, that's where the men's zingers yeah, are. Yeah, I know. We, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. No, yeah, but now there's some stuff. I mean, it's it's a. It's a small market, yeah. but it's a market, you know. You remember, you know, I spent a couple of weekends going back and forth. I'm here in the early state of uh, courting the girlfriend, if you will. God, I hate ah, that phrase. Right, right. Um, but no, that is a fun town. But I just love the idea of a smaller city like that getting this injection that it so desperately needs. Because in like the early part of the 20th century, right, that was like, like the Vanderbilts had like a house out there. It was like a escape kind of thing so if smaller cities like that across the country can get this transportation injection people getting on the train getting there kind of spreading out the country i think that's good because maybe there's a chance that we could all have a little bit more space and kind of you know unique industries will pop up in these towns that have otherwise been kind of forgotten by modern corporate america sure definitely can't hurt all right, Benny, big, big story from the world of college basketball today. Roy Williams, uh, the head coach of the North Carolina Tar Heels, is stepping down after, boy, what's this, almost 33 years coaching. Uh, he took over the the North Carolina job around the year 2000, was at Kansas before that, has put, you know, we talk about the NBA all the time on this podcast, has put oodles and boodles of guys in the NBA, a lot of your favorite basketball players have played for Roy Williams at some point in time. But, Benny, this retirement um, and those close to him have stated that Roy does not like the direction that college basketball is going uh, with guys being able to transfer, not sit out, all of with athletes getting paid. Uh, the So the direction that all of this is going Roy has not been in favor with for a while, and he's like, now is the time to step down. This also coinciding with the Supreme Court taking hearings on the state of amateurism and NCAA, with the NCAA this week. Um, so it's just an interesting chapter in college basketball, all while March Madness is happening. We are on the eve, and by the time you hear this, the day of the Final Four for the NCAA tournament. So there's so much tied into this, but... Uh, when you think of Roy Williams, what do you think of? We'll start there. I mean, I just think of those great UNC teams of like the 90s and 2000s, yeah. you know, just like that perennial group of teams, you know, where there was always a either a UNC, Kentucky, Duke, Kansas, Kansas, who we also coach. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that that's my, you know, I can I always relate Roy Williams to Rasheed Wallace, to mm -hmm. Antoine Jameson, to Paul like Pierce, all the great yeah. pros that came out of that program. Um, but I think maybe what you're seeing here is definitely an indication of a new guard, old guard sort of thing, because, you know, from what I can tell some of these old school coaches, the biggest thing they really hate doing is recruiting. Um, and now recruiting is getting to a point where, you know, you're not only fighting these other big colleges, you're now fighting, you know, the G league who can pay you money, Europe and Australia who can pay you money. You have to start probably offering some really strange things to get these people to come. And then you really know don't damn well, you only have them for a year and how much coaching can you actually do? So I understand why some of these, those old guys are stepping down, but he had a pretty embarrassing season too. Yeah. And you know, maybe he's just trying to curb it before it gets worse. Yeah. It's super interesting because you put a, a lot of these coaches put four to three years recruiting these kids and they only get them for like six to nine months, which is nice. absolute insanity. No, but I totally look at this move as uh, the beginning of an end of an era. Um, I think with the way that recruiting's changed, uh, you, you're going to have Roy Williams retired. Jim Beheim's definitely next. He is fed up with the way that all of this is going. Um, but his, his, his son is still there. So I guess he kind of has to stick it out to then uh, coach K is kind of, grown weary of it too um though i think the energy that he got from coaching usa basketball and coaching professionals like that has kind of got him through this time no but it, the direction that the ncaa has to go to make their product attractive i mean it's just not attractive anymore because 
all these G League Ignite games, they were on ESPN. Granted, they were in the middle of the day and maybe not prime time, but they were still there. So they're getting all the perks that college basketball had, plus they're getting paid. I just don't see how these college jobs are, especially, like, if you think about it, college jobs back in the day, it was like, oh, which would you rather have, the Kentucky job or would you rather coach the Boston Celtics? Now it's like, come on. Like, the NBA is so head and shoulders above everything, and it's such a a moneymaker that these college jobs, even, even the great ones, even the Blue Bloods, even the Kansases, the Dukes, the North Carolinas, those jobs in the future will be stepping stones to get to the NBA. I feel like the pecking order for coaches is going to be assistant in the NBA or assistant with a college, head coach at a college, and then you either get on a staff in the NBA or you get the head job directly. There's just so many ways to get to the league. That's what I think a lot of these young guys are trying to do, especially, and I think that with all this competition, the NCAA finds itself on the outside looking in. I mean, you just, I think it's pretty simple. You just watch two uh, blue chip prospects spurn all the top schools, yeah. being Kaminga and Green. They both went and made themselves 500 grand hmm. this year to play 20 games of basketball, and they're both still solidified as top five picks. Yeah. So I don't know. Why wouldn't you do that? All right. Another quick basketball headline for us. Benny, boy, this is this has been a great week for athletes speaking out on multiple fronts. One great, one eh. Um, so let's <laughs> let's start with the positive one here first. Pelicans, go, or excuse me, now Dallas Mavericks guard JJ Redick on his podcast addressed him being traded from New Orleans to the Mavericks uh, when he apparently when Drew Holiday was traded made a trade request. For to David Griffin and the front office. Uh, and he wanted to be traded to a team in the Northeast because that's where his family is. Long story short, uh, the trade deadline happens and he gets traded to a team that they had not discussed in Dallas. And he goes on his podcast in what I think is a first of its kind, almost kind of instant reaction. Hey, I didn't like this. And pretty much says you can't expect honor and integrity from David Griffin and the Pelicans front office. Very strong words. So, Benny, what do you kind of make of this, of, of an athlete not liking a trade but having created his own platform, and how do you think that this is going to change the power dynamic in the NBA? I, well, I don't know about the – I don't think it's going to change the power dynamic at all because I think J.J. Redick made a mistake. Oh. I think J.J. Redick is a really cool guy, like his podcast, really respect his game. I never thought he'd be the player he turned into, so I don't have anything against the guy. But I think this is maybe one of the first times for him that having that platform is hurting him. He needed a day or two. He did. He needed to sit back on this for a minute, and he needed to see how it would look before he said anything because he's correct. You know what I mean? He's correct, and maybe he had side discussions with somebody else who told them they were going to do something else. Okay. But if there's anything we've gotten comfortable with in this business, it's the fact that people are going to do what's right for themselves. And in this case, they kind of had to. If J.J. Redick was currently worth the $26 million over two years he was being paid, then he'd get to set some demands. He's barely played this season. He's barely played significant minutes this season. And you're going to complain about Drew Holiday leaving when you literally have maybe the most transformational NBA player like sitting on your roster. So it's kind of strange to even mention anyway. And then let's think about it. He's asking for a team that's driving distance to Brooklyn. So now you're talking about what? Knicks, Celtics, Sixers, maybe the Wizards, (laughs) none of which were the perfect fit for him or had enough to give the team he was on back. And to top it off, he goes to an equally good or better basketball situation. He's with, a transformational player, a a sure thing playoff team. Um, He wasn't going to break the playoffs probably before this. So you have to, even though he may be correct in the fact that he had conversations with David Griffin and David Griffin told him one thing and did another, you have to understand the nature of things and just how it looks on the outside. And I think JJ needed an extra few days 
And I think he should have kept this one a little little closer to the chest, probably. See, I think he he sat on it for a couple days and was like, no, this is still the idea that mm. I want to run with and, and the narrative that I want to push. Um, now, the good thing is, I feel like if you go to some of these ownership groups in the NBA, they would have you know, been looking to like fine and, and do all, all of this tampering stuff with your kind of future and stuff like that. But by going to Mark Cuban, I feel like a guy that gets being outspoken, gets why JJ did what he he did. I'm going to be intrigued to see where this goes. You can't put the cat back in the bag of these guys having their own platforms and, and, and stuff like that. But I actually think that this is that this was a, a good thing for JJ t- to do in the sense where, listen, like he has the right to say what he wants clearly going to be a highly monetized video on youtube and and all of these platforms um expensive nft coming up yeah right i, I mean I'm, I'm sure that there's a bunch of different angles there and it's like if you're pissed why hold it back like whose feelings are you protecting they did not take your feelings into account when they traded you to a team that you know you weren't considering or, or even talking about um i'm sure jj is very happy to be playing with luca and all that stuff when he eventually gets back on, on the court um you're exactly right though in terms of leverage he didn't really have any like it or not players are commodities and he's been injured since march 3rd he's trying to get that back has been away from the team so he he, he didn't have the leverage to kind of force his, his own direction he did say on the podcast that he thought, you know, relying on all of these years of goodwill and being like a good soldier uh, would pay off for him in this particular scenario near the end of his career. He claimed on the podcast that that was probably a little bit naive. And it's just a, a sobering reminder that this is a business and teams aren't going to move a, a commodity just because they want to be nice. This is why you got to let agents talk to people like David Griffin. Yeah. Because people like, you know, the real hardcore businessmen, they'll always just say what they need to say. Yeah. And agents understand that and they don't believe it. Mm. And they still advocate. So that's where it's like, I feel like the more and more personal relationships and areas you have are going to wind up J.J. Redick more than Dirk Nowitzki, like the bulk of the time. Just from a personal standpoint. I know Griff. He worked with us on the radio. He's about as as heads up and straightforward Seems and like as it. good of a guy as you can imagine, but he's trying to make the Pelicans a contender. So so if he could get back something that was valuable to kind of put, put them forward, um, yeah. it's not a reflection on, on his character like J.J. was trying to say. And then that brings us to maybe one of the wackiest stories we've talked about in our history of doing the tune-up. Benny, Kevin Durant and Michael Rappaport got into it um, after Rappaport criticized Durant for being soft on criticism from the inside the NBA crew, which the fact that they're in in this whole thing is interesting. I guess they're going back forth in the Instagram DMs. KD really coming for him, dropping some inappropriate language that we're not going to drop on this podcast. Um, But then Rappaport exposes the DMs, which is the most... That's a bitch ass move, man. Pardon the French, but to to put a to for to have two grown men putting their business out on Front Street, it's ridiculous. But I think that this is this gave KD clout and the entire social platform that KD has going back and forth at fans, it is climbing up the ladder of clout on the internet because like it or not, it's becoming increasingly more more valuable so we see we've seen this time and time again these quote-unquote internet personalities though in this case katie is a real figure climb over figures like michael rapaport that kind of represent old media to increase their brand i mean barstool did it i didn't think a nba superstar form and mvp would have to do that but it's the direction that all of this is going so i thought it was very entertaining but Benny, do you think a guy like Kevin Durant should really be out here being soft with a guy like Michael Rappaport? Oh no! I mean, in in all honesty, I hate I hate all of it. Mm. I do. I hate Rappaport's side. I <laughs> hate Kevin Durant's side. I hate Barstool Sports. I hate all these fucking people who decide to use nastiness and negativity and talking shit on others and awful language and like whatever i don't know if i sound conservative talking about this but like 
for real. Like, fuck all of that. Yeah. Like, I am not a fan. I found the whole thing to be ugly. Uh, it turns me off from all involved parties. Um, and if your theory is true that this is sort of a, you know, um, blown up and intentional battle to boost each other's, you know, social media numbers or their exposure, then then fuck you even more. Yeah. Because that means you're using all this shit to get something, which is even like dirtier and nastier and turns you into some weird fucking pro wrestler. So, no, I, I kind of hated all of it. I think all involved parties should grow the fuck up um, and stop talking about meeting each other out in the street in New York City or in whatever, Soho. like <laughs> fucking 12 years old. But the only thing about it that I found funny and strange about the whole thing that makes me think you might be right is what the fuck is about West 17th Street? Yeah. Like, I've been around New York my whole life. That's <laughs> not... If, if you're not going to see an art piece... Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to West 17th street. What are they doing down there? And why is that even in the tweet? Yeah. Didn't make a lot of sense to me. That's the one part of it that I read where I'm like, is he just fucking around? Cause like, that's not a real place to say in New York. Why, why would you say that? Yeah. Unless you're going to a gallery and trying to get like a $7 latte. Well, like, why, why are you going down there? It doesn't make sense. I mean, it's the trolling thing that we talked about. Lil Nas X. This is how people communicate. It's a interesting commentary, but in many ways, KD has kind of created the way the next generation of superstars communicate. And I'll tell and, you, man, call me old school. You know, I try to be a progressive person. Yeah, I do. I try to be it's righteous. Weird, but with one of these things, I gotta kick it old school, man. Yeah, seriously, there's a way to do things. There's a way to do things with people. You can have a problem with someone and you can never tell anyone and it's okay um, just to help everything around you. You know, it's all selfish, self-indulgent behavior. I really, I could do without it all. I mean, that's, that is the internet in a nutshell. I mean, it's all self-indulgent behavior. So it's and it's sad. as if KD needs, like, yeah. that's the thing yeah. I don't understand. It's like, if you're about to go to the, the playoffs with a team it includes Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden. A, you don't need any more of a reason to be hated. Yeah. You're already like the heels of the NBA. Everybody hates you, okay? Yeah. Which is going to make everybody watch you. So just give it a fucking rest. It, th that's what makes me think it's actually real and these people are being weak <laughs> and they're being just shitty to each other. Yeah. You know, like it feels more like that. Because I don't see the end game being that good for either of them, really. I feel like with the amount of success Kevin Durant has, he's a guy that is fueled by feeling disrespected. Does Kevin Durant stay online so that uh, a he's messing around and he's looking yeah and and he's looking for that you know motivation? Is fucking Michael Rappaport inspiring him to get up at four o'clock in the morning and get these shots up? It's interesting. It's <laughs> I, so maybe, fucking weird. Maybe I've listen as someone who comes from the music world, I've definitely seen people do some really, really strange things to inspire themselves to create. So I don't know. Maybe Katie is just a, maybe he's an artist. <laughs> I mean, there's, him and Kyrie have those Basquiat jerseys, so nothing is out of the question. Yeah, they're taking this Brooklyn shit too <laughs> they're seriously. They're taking it way too seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. They <laughs> had one like plant-based <laughs> meal at some hippie place, and they're just like, yeah, I'm, I'm super subversive now. <laughs> and now he's trying to act like he's Biggie on Fulton Street in like the yeah, 90s. Like, come on, dude. It's true. It's true. Maybe that's it. All right, final headline today, Benny. It is opening day in Major League Baseball. Baseball's back. By the way, folks, oh, Benny Horowitz right here, baseball writer extraordinaire. Go check it out, spin.com. He previewed the Yankees and the rest of Major Thank League you. Baseball. Uh, we, we tweeted the link the other day. Great stuff. He, he, he got on the Twitch with them. It was phenomenal. Um, <laughs> so, Benny, let's run down this baseball preview yeah. real quick. I'm going to you know try to throw out some questions at you. You give me... You know, 30 seconds left or really how, however long gotcha. you want to do it. All right. Gotcha. Question number one, since you wrote about the Yankees, will the Yanks be able to break through this year, get back to the World Series, and maybe even win a championship? Yes. Yes, they can. They have uh, easily one of the most devastating lineups in baseball. 
health uh, permitting or not, even with Voight gone, added Jay Bruce to just keep this lineup intense from one to nine. I think the big question is what they can pull together with pitching. If one of Kluber or Talion can go ahead and uh, give them almost a full season of real baseball behind Garrett Cole, great bullpen. I think I think it's uh, it's theirs to lose. Will they miss Tanaka at all? Of course, yeah, okay. definitely. They, they're missing that depth, and they're counting on some guys that you're not sure you can count on yet, for sure. All right, moving to the middle of the country, Benny, you know, the AL Central seems to be up in the air this year. You know, the Twins have won it the last two years, but can the upstart White Sox take over the top spot in the AL Central? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, division seems to be airs. I mean, mm. they're a young, fun team led by Tim Anderson, I'm expecting breakout years from Luis Robert and, uh, you know, Michael Kopech, who everybody forgot they still have over there, who is one of the best prospects in baseball for a long time. Um, I think Larusa is the big hmm. question mark. I mean, you know, I don't know. A lot of people are piling on the fact that he's 71 years old, but maybe there is some truth that collective wisdom does do something. It doesn't always have to be. <laughs> some upstart ex catcher, you know, guy actually knows what he's doing. Right. So, uh, and part of the reason is I, I don't really believe in the rest of that division. I think Minnesota is still good, but a little thin in parts. Um, yeah, I think it's the white Sox year to, uh, take it over even, even without Eloy Jimenez. Love that. All right, let's move over to the West coast sticking in the AL. Is this the year the angels put it together? I believe in the angels. This I love year. it. I do. They look great. They need a couple bounce backs from pitchers, but I liked what they put together with uh, Dylan Bundy and Cobb, Andrew Haney, Jose Quintana. So I think they have a couple um, potential breakouts for a solid pitching season out of that group. And then they just added Anthony Rendon, I think one of the more Mm -hmm. underrated players uh, in baseball. Um, I don't think Mike Trout has ever had anyone to solidify the lineup right next to him as well as Rendon can do because Pujols was never exactly what he should have been there. They have the kid Rojas, um, Jared Walsh coming up, give him good at bats. So I think it's the, it's their year to break through. Uh, the A's are pretty good, but, but I like the angels this season. I love that. We need Mike Trout in the playoffs. We that half yeah. billion dollar man needs needs to get into the playoffs, please. <laughs> All right, let's move over to the NL and bring it back right here to New York. New York, boy, the Mets have had quite the off season. New owner who this Francisco Lindor signs the three hundred forty one million dollar extension yesterday. Ten years, goodness gracious. So, what do you expect from the New York Metropolitans this season? I just got off a group text. I have one group text with four of my Mets friends who anytime there's some big Mets news, I hit up and a couple were a little reticent about this Lindor deal. And I had to try to, I found myself talking Mets fans into this Lindor deal. I don't know what happened this morning, but I think it's a great deal. I think that's exactly the type of guy you want to build your clubhouse around shortstop, great defense, switch hitter apparently is the life of the party. Like that's the guy you want. And of course, any 10-year contract is going to depreciate towards the end. That's just the nature of it. But I love that signing. Uh, I think DeGrom is arguably the best, you know, one of the top three best pitchers in baseball. And uh, I think they have a chance to get through. Um, I picked the Mets to go to the World Series in my mm. spin article, but mostly for parody <laughs> because, like, 90% of these predictions were Yankees-Dodgers. Yeah. I thought something fun could happen and the Mets could get through. Love to see another Subway series. Boy, the NL East may be the best division in baseball. I mean, you got the Braves. The Phillies look really good this year. Um, Can never sleep on a Joe Girardi team. Yeah, Braves are a monster. Yeah, yeah, Braves. Um, And then, you know, the Mets are trying to do something here. Um, And I feel like the... The Marlins are the little engine that could there, so it's gonna be sure. that's gonna be a great division to watch all season long. All right, let's move over back to the Central. Um, arguably, always the most competitive division in Major League Baseball. Who do you like in the NL Central this year? I got the Cardinals this mm. season. I think the addition of Arenado is good. I think Flaherty is arguably the best starting pitcher in that division. Um, I like the Brewers lineup, but I don't trust their pitching. I think, uh, yeah, I think it's Cardinals year to get through. Great relief. Um, yeah, Cardinals. 
Love that. All right, then last question. Back out west, you know, the Padres, another team that made a big splash on the hot stove. Mm-hmm. Uh, can the Padres challenge the Dodgers this year, or, or is it going to be more like it is Dodger Stadium South when people would go down the Petco? So here's the deal for me. Yeah. Is, I mean, these are two of the best teams in baseball in the same division. So I think both are making the playoffs regardless. But the thing that we have to consider already, and it's happening already, Mets Nationals is canceled tonight. Mm. Too many Nats have COVID tests. We already have a cancel, you know? So I think we can't rule out the fact that just like basketball, this is going to severely impact injuries. It's going to severely impact waves of the season certain teams going through lulls certain teams going up so the one thing i could see happening is the dodgers padres in a series something strange happening a u darvish or a blake snell being lights out and the padres actually getting past them but i do think it's still the dodgers to win but i think because of the strangeness of this season and the kind of depth and youth that the padres have if anyone is going to make a big splash and a big surprise, it's them. This also potentially is probably the rivalry of this decade brewing. I love currently. it. I love it. Well, plenty of ways to get in contact with this show. If we want to hear all of your predictions, we want to hear who you think is going to be the next coach in North Carolina, who's going to go to the World Series Major League Baseball. What do you think of Lil Nas X? All that stuff. Hit us up at the tuneuppodcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. You can follow us all the social platforms, the tuneup HQ, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, tuneup on Twitch. Still going to figure that out. If you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz1, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I am at Denny underscore Gallagher. Ben, you got anything else? Yeah, just all you alt-right people who really like the Foo Fighters, remember that Dave Grohl dressed up as Satan in the Tenacious D movie, okay? Happy opening day. You've been listening to The Tune-Up.